0: To all those who have found their voice and use it to speak for others in need. For the many teachers in my life who helped me find my voice. Welcome, you're tuned in to AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks. I'm your host, Ramiya Amuddin, joined by technical producer Nisreen Abdel-Majid. And the quote from today comes... Well, it comes recommended by Amir Khan, who will join us later on in the show. And this is from the dedication portion of the book, A Boy and a Jaguar, which we will also discuss later, written by Alan Rabinowitz and illustrated by Katya Chan. And I think we're going to get into some juicy conversation later. But uh, when I hear illustrated by, I think, oh, my gosh, all the children's books that I didn't get to know the graphics of which is unfortunately the sad reality of uh, having grown up with a visual impairment in an integrated school books were always a complicated subject with me i pretty sure have expressed and um confessed to pretending to read books for a very long time, uh, up until an age where I realized I could probably actually read books. And that was not because I didn't know the alphabet, and not because I couldn't read, and not because it wasn't part of the education system for me and around me, but because I just felt so much pressure to read at the pace that everybody else was reading around me in integrated class. And that was very difficult for me to uh, accomplish. And therefore, I thought, well, I I will pretend like I'm doing it uh, just to make sure that everybody else thinks that I'm doing it. I hope that nobody else is doing this. And I really, really hope that our services and our resources and especially our conversations around reading have become more transparent, more supportive, and that we can encourage our children with disabilities to love reading and to want to read and to take their time to figure out how reading best fits them, because that would be incredible. Let's take a look at the CELA homepage. This is from the Center for Equitable Library Access, running through the three featured titles on the homepage The House in the Pines by Anna Ray's. This is a suspense and thriller. Number two Tell Me Pleasant Things About Immortality by Lindsay Wong. Ghost and Horror Stories for You guys. And Bad Cree by Jessica Johns Indigenous Peoples Fictions. We'll be back on this episode. We're checking in with Amer Khan and we'll find out what he's been listening to throughout the month of March. This is AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks. I'm your host, Ramiya Amuthan. And we have audiobooks with Amir Khan. This is a segment we have at the end of the month, give or take. And Amir shares his highs and lows of the reading he's done throughout the month. And the good, the bad, and the ugly are about to come out. And um, we have a lot of discussion. We've been picking themes that cover three parts of a subject, or three books, or three authors, just three of three. And Amir, today's theme is aliens, jaguars, end the pandemic. I don't think there's any correlation at all to any of these, right? None. None. Okay, good. I was I'm really not trying to spend so much time wondering if there was, because I felt like there wouldn't be. So let's start with, um, you're featuring three books today, and let's start with The Kraken Wakes by John Wyndham. What? Uh, how did this one fall into your reading list? So
1: I, I lie, actually, there is something that sort of ties all of these things together. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I was listening to actually a podcast or something, and they were mentioning some uh, some books about the recent trend for sort of ecology books and saving the environment and books that were about the environment. So I sort of got curious. Um, one book in particular, which was suggested was uh, Eleanor Catan's uh, Burnham Wood, um, which is about some folks in New Zealand who uh, form a environmental group to take on environmental change, um, but it wasn't in human narration in, in in Cela So I decided to go take a look at some other articles. So I found this article with a couple of different suggestions on it. Um, one of them is the first one that we'll be talking about more in depth, uh, which is the Kraken by uh, John Wyndham. And John Wyndham, if the name sounds familiar, uh, it's because he wrote a book called The Chrysalids, uh, which is much a standard in most uh, Ontario and in most high schools or, or junior high schools as part of the curriculum for for English class. Ramya, did you happen to Mm-mm.
0: read that one? Yeah. No. Children's okay. book? Well, I guess middle school? Uh, it's
1: more of a high schooler. Okay. Um, it, it's sort of similar in terms of um, weight to Lord of the Flies, um, ah. but not as dark. So the, the book is basically about a sort of post-nuclear world where People have reverted back to very strict sort of Christian values, um, where you know if people are deformed or things like that, it's not considered you know proper, and they're sent away. Um, and while this sort of environment is set, uh, our main characters are people who have telepathic capabilities, who can talk to each other, and they know that if they tell their parents that they're going to be sent away, or worse. Um, So they keep it a secret, and uh, that's sort of the baseline for that book. And it's sort of adventurous. Uh, It has a serious edge to it. There's a lot of themes, which make sense for for bringing it up in school time. But that is very different from The Kraken. So (laughs) The Kraken is, it was a very interesting book to start off to see what it was about. Um, The first thing I will say about it is that it's not for everyone. It's not one of these books that has a generalized appeal. The pace is very, very slow. Um, if you've tried, if you've watched the movie Arrival, it's along those kinds of paces um, in terms of very, very slow, very rolled out that way. But what makes this book really interesting is the way it's written is is very British to me. It's written in a very dry sort of passive tone where you don't really feel like you are the characters that you're actually observing, um, which is interesting because the main characters are supposed to be sort of newspaper reporters. Um, so you get that feel when you're reading the entire book that you're sort of an arm's length away and listening to somebody's account of all these things that are happening. And the basis for the book is is a lot more interesting than, you know, the actual details of the book, which is that, you know, the book starts off with these giant fireballs falling to the deepest parts of the ocean and people try to figure out what they are. And then the ships start disappearing and then stuff starts happening, which people can't explain. Um, and it sounds like a great sci-fi movie sort of premise, but the pace is so slow, and the events are so sort of far removed, and and there's so much unknown. This is not sort of Independence Day where you know you're taking on the aliens head to head, and you know who they are, and you know what they are. For a lot of the book, there there's there's such large unknowns that you're sort of a babe in the woods with the with the characters.
0: So what keeps it going then? If the pace is slow, but you know that it could be faster. I'm curious about what keeps it engaging.
1: The intriguing part of this book is really about the, the characters themselves. Okay. Uh, the book is set in sort of like the 1970s, and it's really interesting to see how the author portrays um, number one the marriage of the uh, uh, of the two main characters. So it's a husband and wife team. The wife doesn't work but also writes a lot of his own reports and you know his his articles and things. So you see this sort of symbiotic re- relationship uh, between uh, husband and wife. The husband also randomly quotes, you know, very poetic uh, works, uh, which the wife doesn't have a great appreciation of, but can spot them. So it's it's really <laughs> this interesting relationship between the, the two. And, you know, mental health also, you know, raises its head in between all of these events throughout um, the world, which is interesting for me to see in a book that is set sort of in the 1970s. And then you have the whole political aspect. There's a lot of talk about what the government should do and the, what the, the government is without boring the reader and without making the reader feel like they, they're they being lectured to. Mm. It, it's a lot of, you know, sort of, again, like sort of a passive dry tone, which, you know, the author describes as, you know, this is pre um, uh, the fall of the Soviet Union. So, you know, in terms of what the Soviets are doing and what the Americans are doing and what government should and shouldn't do and that line between trying to keep people calm and then telling people the truth. Um so so you have all these sorts of themes that are really strong underliers throughout throughout the book. For me, you know me, I'm I'm all about the ending of a book and this one just just falls off a cliff at the end. Mm. It gives some rays of optimism, but uh ultimately, you know the pace the, the book is going, that's where you really want to start seeing something happen, and it, it just ends there.
0: Right. Um, sounds kind of disappointing, but I mean, the it, it's nice to hear about what the pacing actually lends itself to, right? The tone of the book, um, the serious, kind of cautious uh, subjects that are being discussed, I guess, could be validated that way. But interesting, yeah. so...
1: Yeah and it's more of a realistic view too. I mean if unexplained things started happening even today sure. I mean, people would be cautious about it. People you know it's unlikely that something suddenly would happen like we saw in like Independence Day where you know flying saucers would suddenly come in and yeah. you know we yep. have to do something about them but um you know there is a lot of climate change in the book um there's you know all sorts of themes that are that are running around which are which are more modern the book is by no means you know uh, recent so uh, it's interesting to see how how the author predicted ser- certain things and, mm-hmm. and sees certain things.
0: Okay, well, that's a good one. So, l- moving on to the uh, second book you wanted to pick, <laughs> "A Boy and His Jaguar" by Alan R. and Kashishin.
1: Yeah, this is this is a Freudian slip for me. It's it's actually titled "A Boy and a Jaguar," I believe. Okay. Uh, by Alan uh, Rabinowitz and. Uh, illustrated by Kachiya Chen so this was another book that was part of that article I was talking about like the best like, sort of ecological and you know uh, climate change books um, out there and I was really looking forward to sinking my teeth into this book and then I was abruptly taken aback because the book is only 10 minutes long so <laughs>
0: <laughs> you so sunk I was, in for all 10 minutes
1: like what what <laughs> happened so the book, um, oh the gosh. man Alan Rabinowitz is, is a very well-known uh, zoologist. Um, he was the first person to uh, set up a jaguar uh, preserve in Belize, and he is a stutterer. So the book is very short, but it, it, it sort of outlines how he grew up as a stutterer, and it's not—it's not one of these books where he was bullied and teased and all that. It, it's actually the opposite, which is which is interesting to me, which is why I'm really looking forward to, uh, to the longer book. Uh, Unfortunately it's available in synthetic only, but basically he ended up becoming a very shy and introverted person in terms of he just stopped speaking. That's what his sort of solution was to not have people hearing him stutter. Mm. Um, so he grew up a certain way. Uh, his parents were very kind in terms of trying to figure out new ways to, to help him. And I think one of those actually worked. Um, so he spends his time uh, not only with Jaguars, but advocating for um, people who stutter. And, uh, you know, I, I thought there were excellent quotes at the at the dedication of uh, of the book. So I uh, sent those over to you.
0: Yeah, exactly. And we started the show off with one of the quotes, but it's so... Um... Now, is this written in a nonfiction form, Amir?
1: Yes, yes. It's, okay. a, it's a nonfiction book. It's about his life. Uh, I, I would imagine it's written very much for children since there's an illustrator. Um, and the the book that was actually recommended in the article I read was actually called The Last Village. And it's a fairly recent book. And it's about sort of uh, climate change and these types of things. Sila doesn't have it in his collection yet, which is why I picked up this one. Um, which is human narrated, uh, but uh, I look forward to that being f- as part of the collection. Uh, I'd really like to see his views mm-hmm. on uh, on climate change.
0: Well, I mean, I can't stop talking about representation in any context, but especially uh, in books and in children's books. Right, we had a discussion with Teresa and Karen at the start of the month, just a- around this. You know, seeing you in books and seeing people like you uh, being represented that way and how that gives you confidence. And I think that stuttering is, uh, sadly, some one of the more, like, one of the lesser known um, kind of uh, disabilities or akin to disability conversations that we have. And so stuttering advocates, uh, as you, you mentioned here, as this author is, is something that um, we should probably look more into. And people have a lot to share because for some reason it feels like the topic is just not that talked about.
1: It, it really isn't. I mean, I remember watching a interview with James Earl Jones and he had sort of the opposite effect where mm-hmm. everybody who heard his voice was like, oh, you must have known from a very early age that, you know, you, you had a great voice and people must have complimented you. And he was like, no, actually, when I was younger, I, I had a stutter right, and I couldn't stand the sound of my own voice. I was very shy. And, you know, we're talking about James Earl exactly. Jones, right? Exactly. Uh, one of the more well, you know, most recognized uh, voices out there in Hollywood. So, yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, that caught my attention, too, that he's a stutterer. And I'm uh, curious to see what his advocacy um, efforts are in that, in that realm.
0: Yeah, me too. And uh, very important stuff, but also the way that it's written makes such a big difference on how the content is taken in. Right. And so that the the age group that this is catered for is, I think, really, really wonderful. Like when you're a kid, you don't you can't tell what life is going to turn out for you, right? You're just comparing yourself to everyone else else around you and thinking, you know, am I like these people? Am I obviously not like these people? And how that affects your self-image, your confidence, your self-esteem. And um, I think if I had read anything when I was younger that just said, this is like you, you know, this character is you and everything's going to be all right. It would have changed so much for me growing up. And that's one of the biggest values of um, children's books that really get into stuff like this.
1: Yeah. And it was interesting to see in, in you know, 10 minutes or under, he went from talking about being shy and not wanting to speak because people might make fun of him mm-hmm towards the end of the book, at the end of the 10 minutes, where he's actually, you know, speaking to the leader of Belize and trying to convince him to open a, you know, preserve for uh, for jaguars. Right. Yeah. So you oh my gosh. you see this whole 180 degrees of, like, not being able to speak to public speaking with a world leader. So. Mm-hmm.
0: What passion can <laughs> do, great eh? It's see yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one more on your uh, review list today. Last but not least, The Dark Hours, and this is Michael Connolly. So you're just going down the books with Michael Connolly, man.
1: Yeah. Trying to get, catch up uh, to the Harry Bosch series. Uh, I somewhat, um, I didn't quite realize that the, the series actually hasn't ended. I thought it was a series that had been, you know, done and dusted, and I was catching up, but. Uh, He actually published another book in 2023 uh, this year. So I guess we're still going with Harry Bosch. Um, And I I really like these books. And this is, I think, the third time I'm talking about the series on on the show. But um, I couldn't get away from it. And this book in particular caught me because um, it's called The Dark Hours. Uh, It's interesting for a couple of reasons. Um, It's a continuation of another sort of sub-series. There's a character named Ballard who uh, Harry Bosch um, starts to team up with. So I think this is the third book, Ballard and Bosch, um, which has a great sort of ring to it. Um, and the book is a lot more uh, of Ballard's point of view than than Harry Bosch's. And we get to see what it's like to be a sort of, L- you know, an LAPD uh, detective, but during the pandemic. So I've read a couple of books that had some, some pandemic content in it, but nothing as close as this one where... You know as uh you know as law enforcement you're required to interact with the public so you have to deal with this mask um and you know this is pre-vaccination and, and this types of stuff so you had all these sort of you know uh, issues to deal with in terms of trying to figure out how to do your police work with a mask but not only that but you know you had more uh, political things going on at the time in terms of defunding the police uh, anti-police, um, you know, uh, sentiments, especially in LA. That's that's sort of a recurring cycle in that particular mm. city. Um, and you get to see how how all that sort of affects the psyche of of somebody who is dedicated to the job, but still thinking that maybe this isn't right for her.
0: Was it actually released during the pandemic or afterwards?
1: I think it's released afterwards. It must have been at least the first year, right? Okay. Um, I mean, like I said, the, the latest book was published in 2023, and I'm still, I think, three short from catching that up. So right. I it's entirely possible during that time uh, or just after.
0: Okay. I mean, as uh, we know, TV shows, books um, have really, like, especially if they're still going on and started before the pandemic, series are tending to put in that flavor, right, of the changing realities, really, in, in our environments around us and life as we know it, putting that into the content. So were you thrown off by it? Did it feel seamless to you with the rest of the series? Like, it, did it feel like it was following course or did it feel completely out of the blue that they would toss in the pandemic and the this side of it?
1: Michael Connolly is excellent at picking up the vibe of the time for the characters that they're in. So it seemed very much part of part of the DNA for for this series. I mean, mm. um, as I've said before, it, you know, some of his other books talk about you know um, the other sort of uh, items that happened around LA in terms of political strife, um, police brutality. I mean, you have you have all these sort of incidents that sort of centered around LA. You had protests, riots, you name it. LA has seen it. Um, A little bit of a historical fact that, you know, the the regional SWAT teams for police were actually uh, out of the LAPD, uh, was the first in North America to start those uh, because of uh, this type
0: of uh, violence. Yeah, yeah. Um, And of course, reading it now, just like fresh off the heels of the pandemic feels eh, maybe too close to home, but reading something like this 10 years later right like if you were just binging a whole bunch of Michael it feels like it would be part of history uh just like anything else would if you were (laughs) reading it years later but um it's really interesting to think like it's being featured but it's happening around us you know the like this this big shift and change in life
1: big shift and you know it doesn't it's not front and center for the book, which it, again is, is part of the DNA for for Mike for uh, for Harry Bosch books. It's, uh-huh. it's sort of part of the the strong background of what's going on in the book. But you get those those hints, which you know remind you back in the pandemic, where you know a character is visiting another character and asking, you know, we're going to eat. Is it okay if I take my mask off because I know you're older and whatever, mm. whatever, whatever. And you see these like little things which you know uh, bring you back to the time. Um, which isn't too long ago for all of us.
0: Yep, yep. And the policing side of it, of course, uh, very sensitive subject on how things have felt in the last several years. And you mentioned L.A., I'm thinking, uh, really all around North America as well. So that kind of atmospheric shift?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, uh, the book actually ends with um, with the insurrection at Capitol Hill, um, oh. and, and how that is affecting the character too. So again, very much part of the DNA of, of of Harry Bosch and the way Michael Connolly writes of introducing political events that affect police and policing um, into his books. But again, you get another sort of crisis of conscience on the part of of the characters of, you know, whether they want to stay mm-hmm. in, in, in law enforcement or, uh, you know, it's time to hang it up uh, and do something else.
0: Are there still things you're learning about the main characters this far into the series? Yeah,
1: and, and I think Michael Connolly does a great job of sort of shifting the focus of characters. Mm-hmm. So like I said, Harry Bosch is uh, almost near 70 years old now in this particular book, um, and the shift has has come to his partner, uh, this new partner, Ballard. So we get to see a, a sort of a fresh perspective on policing from a female sort of mixed-race background um, and living a sort of alternative lifestyle. So uh, for the first book that she's introduced, she actually lives on the beach and likes to surf because she's from Hawaii. Mm. Um, and, you know, for us living in Toronto, that's like, people can do that? Wait, right. what's going on there? So it, it, there's a lot of fresh new things that that Michael Connolly does bring with with every book. Um, there, there's a lot of police corruption themes throughout most of his books. Um, but, uh, you know, that that's sort of part of the formula or uh, of Harry Bosch books.
0: Now, you said you're three books out from catching up. Essentially. I think so, so somewhere there. Yeah. So how many books are there in total again? Remind us. I, I don't know. <laughs> but not even a ballpark? Um, Twenty something, maybe. Twenty something. Okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I did run into people who are ahead of me though, if so that makes me feel any better. I don't know. But when um, you
0: recommend to others checking out this series, like if somebody really mm-hmm. sounded like they would check it out, would you say start from the beginning or could you actually point out books from the series that they could start with?
1: Yeah, I, I think it, it really depends on your taste. There are some books that are that would probably skew more towards some audiences than others, um, but I don't think it's necessary to start from the very beginning. If you're one of these people that really wants to know the stories from beginning to end, you can do it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the references back to other stories and other books are pretty minimal. You can get away with sort of picking one up in the middle of the the, the series. Um yeah, for for a lot of series, in terms for me for recommendations, uh, if I know the person well, I can usually pick one or two out that I know that that they would like more than others. Mm-hmm.
0: I've um, always had um, a bit of a challenge in this context because with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, this is the biggest example in my life. I've wanted to start start from the beginning, but what beginning? Because people have <laughs> have put out so many versions and of posts and recommendations on do it this way, do it that way. And actually, this is the best chronological order, and it wasn't the order that um, the, the whole thing was released in the movie franchise, at least. So there, there's a lot going on. And I think that, um, you know, it's easier to be loosey-goosey with this kind of stuff, but I'm not one of these people.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Harry Bosch series, I mean, I'm sure there's been fill-ins, uh, which typically happens with authors. they'll They'll write a couple of short stories and stuff them in, between some of the the chronological order yep. um, of when they were published, as well as where the storylines were, and some of them, like I had the same experience with, you know, um, a boy and a jaguar, where you know one of them was like a short story that was literally like fifteen minutes long or something, and I was like, wait, where's the rest of this book? That was it. It was like, <laughs> yeah. it's, like it's like the author just published a chapter of a book and just you know published it, and I was like, oh, yeah. that's strange, but okay, I get it. <laughs> Um, and it was it was interesting too because it wasn't it it wasn't strictly standalone, but it's not mentioned again in the series. So it right. was one of these sort of linkages pieces. Um, the story was about sort of a a sonar um, that marked different locations that somebody had lost during a poker game, and it was mentioned in one book and picked up in another book, but we never heard about this sonar again. And the short story is basically about how the sonar basically uh, is the locations of all the bodies for a oh, different serial killer. <sighs>
0: That is so interesting. You're better off having known that, right? Like following it, but I guess you can spare it. Amr, thank you so much. Uh, We're wrapping it there, but we'll chat with you at the end of the next month as we usually do.
1: Sounds good. Looking forward to it.
0: Amir Khan, our very own audiobook worm, joining us at the end of March for his chat on um, the three, the pick of three this month. I'm your host, Ramia Amuddin, here with technical producer Nisreen Abdel-Majid, and that concludes this episode. Next time, we're checking in with our friends from the Center for Equitable Library Access. And until then, happy audiobook listening.